0: To better enjoy this episode, I suggest you follow along with the photos and diagrams of the Maesta Panels, provided for free at patreon.com slash Vinette. Welcome back to the History of North America Extra. I'm Mark Vinette. The Maesta Panels, Chapter 9 Father Umberto led Julia and Wade a few steps from his office to a temperature-controlled room on the first floor of the museum, home to the magnificent altarpiece, the true jewel in the Museo's crown, an undisputed freestanding masterpiece of early 14th-century Italian art. The Maesta was not displayed in its reconstructed state. Instead, its parts hung on the four walls of the gallery allowing for better viewing of its visually rich story panels. The room was dark, but the masterpiece was well lit. Julia and Wade slowed their pace as they approached the huge main frontal panel. Their final slow-motion steps signaled respect, awe, and reverence. Umberto stopped close to the composition and turned with his biggest smile yet. My friends announcing with a grandiose hand gesture, I present the Maesta. Although his captive audience consisted of only two, Umberto assumed an air of stateliness and dramatic piety. Maesta is Italian for majesty. It refers to Mary, the mother of Jesus, enthroned in majesty as Queen of Heaven. At the end of the medieval era, Mary had taken on an enormously important role of intercessor between God and mankind, bridging common folks to Christ, giving normal people access to Jesus. The faithful would pray to the Virgin, and she would perhaps speak to her son on their behalf. The cleric paused. He took a moment to solemnly lay the palm of his right hand over the plain wooden crucifix hanging around his neck and laying upon his upper chest. As you can see, this altarpiece is composed of many individual paintings, 65 in total. The biggest and most impressive of the 22 front or recto panels presents a large enthroned Madonna, garbed in traditional, intense, ultramarine blue. Mary is holding her child, surrounded by a court of angels and saints. A predella depicts scenes of Christ's childhood separated by images of Old Testament prophets. Many biblical saints are also presented next to Mary on the frontal section, along with Siena's various patron saints in the foreground. The priest dug into his side pocket and retrieved a cross-shaped laser pointer with one of his aged spotted hands. He directed a sharp beam towards letterings around the base of the ornate marble throne. The laser's small red dot, targeted the inscriptions. Two short prayers asking the Virgin to grant peace to Siena and glory to Duccio, who has painted the scene. Umberto translated aloud. Holy Mother of God, be Thou the cause of peace for Siena, and life to Duccio, because he painted thee thus. Clearly enjoying himself, he stopped, allowing his guests to soak it all in, then continued. The reverse, or backside, has the rest of a combined cycle of the lives of both the Virgin and Christ presented in 43 small scenes. As you may be aware, unfortunately, several panels are now lost. Tilting his head to one side, Umberto proceeded. Though it took a generation for its effect to be measured, This masterwork set Italian painting on a course leading away from the static representations of Byzantine art towards more direct presentations of reality. Umberto looked directly at Julia and Wade. It is important to know that medieval art glorified God, not the individual. Duccio introduced a warmth of human feeling, subtlety and delicacy, while maintaining a conservative inclination towards the elegant grace and decorative beauty of late Gothic art. He added beautiful modulations of light and shadow to his three-dimensional compositions, moving steadily and deliberately towards creating real volume, weight, and substance. His subjects are informally animated and display real character, piercing awareness and fully conscious wisdom. The priest began slowly walking around the room while speaking. There developed a mystical side to Sienese art, characterized by an emphasis on miraculous events. Duccio was a lyrical painter with lyrical qualities who paid less attention to dreamlike coloration, proportions, and distortions of place and time. This unique style settled into what we today call the Sienese school of painting which flourished during the early and mid-Renaissance, for a time rivaling the more liberal city of Florence and its naturalistic art. The eventual political and economic decline of the city and its subjugation by Florence arrested the development of Sienese painting, but helped preserve a good proportion of Sienese works in public buildings and churches. Our city's treasures were thus not discarded or destroyed by new paintings or rebuilding. That is why Siena remains a wonderfully well-preserved late medieval town. As the trio deliberately moved from panel to panel, Julia and Wade continued to marvel at the beauty of it all, with Wade sharing a thought out loud. I've seen this artwork many times in books and online, but nothing compares to seeing the original pieces in all their glory. I agree, concurred Julia, staring at the pictures while twirling her hair in an inviting manner, as if being courted by a romantic suitor. Umberto regained their attention and resumed his teachings. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you enjoyed the listen.